Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, the side effects of service. Reframing our financial narrative. And pay yourself first. This is Obstacle Course. Boom! <laughs> Andrew, you said boom! Remember, I said, remember one of the first times we ever did this? It might not have made it onto an episode, but I said boom and you loved it. I know, I did! You know when you did that is when we did our first like little intro for the podcast fellowship. Right. And everybody was like, oh, I love the boom. Keep the boom in. <laughs> and we were like 33 episodes in and we did not keep the boom in once. Why not? The boom's back, baby. Yeah, the boom. Kaboom. Yeah, why do we go away from the boom? The boom's great. Yeah, keep doing the boom. Okay. All right. Speaking of boom, I got a story for you. I, I know it's. I know that's surprising. But, yeah. But today we talked about money. We finally. We did. Yes. And you didn't even cry. No. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, no I didn't cry. Um, not to, not outwardly, anyways. But we talked mm-hmm. about money, which is a tough thing to talk about. And uh, and uh, Mike mentioned at one point putting the money in the mattress. And, okay. And, and I'm and it got me thinking. Do people actually put money in the mattress? Like. Do you, have you ever like put money under your mattress? I've never put money under my mattress, but I have completely irrationally kept thousands of dollars of cash. I just oh. probably shouldn't say this. Oh my gosh. I don't anymore though, would be burglars. <laughs> Was that back when you were dealing? Uh... No, no, no. Uh, I've only dealt in, in the legal um, Fair t- intoxicants okay. <laughs> of cocktails. But at one point in, in that little apartment on uh, Alder Street there... <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> you have thousands of dollars just laying around. Yeah. Um, and yeah, well, that's a good idea. It's not. It's not. No, it's not. But they weren't, it wasn't into my mattress, so don't look there. No, and yeah. It's just, just dust bunnies. You shouldn't, yeah, we shouldn't just be a cavalier about leaving money around. And literally, I just thought of another story. So I'm going to switch <laughs> to switch to this new story, and then I'll go back to that old story. Oh, great. The other story. Story but time. To, speaking of leaving money around, um, believe it or not, I went to the Ukraine uh, about 25 years ago. Hmm. So this was back in, when I was a good Christian boy, and we were doing a mission mission trip, teaching them English. By using the Bible. How, how savvy is that? <laughs> you're getting English, but you're learning an important lesson at the same time. Yeah. But that's anyways, never steered anyone wrong no, before. No, it was great. Um, so that was in the Ukraine. Obviously, the Ukraine was very different back then. Yeah. And um, we just brought American money because American money you know, works everywhere. And I had a, had a bunch. And the leader at the time said, you know, you need to hide it. Well, you know, it was quite quite a poor area that we were staying in. There, there's not safes or anything. So I decided to be smart, and and one night I like looked up, and um, I I literally Andrew knows where the store is going because he just saw my eyes. I put the money in like the the shade on the light on the ceiling, and I was like, "This is perfect. Nobody will think to look look there." Yeah, and, and you know it was during the day, so it, you know I hadn't, didn't, hadn't really thought it through, and sure enough, it was it wasn't a couple days before we smelled a little bit of burning. <laughs> And I was like, what is that smell? And I looked up there and I saw like just, I, I'm talking like there was, there was, you know, hundreds of dollars <laughs> up in that lampshade. And I saw it starting to turn black and I was like, oh my God. And we grabbed the chair and I jumped up, grabbed the money and it was like, there was black on the edges. I was like, but the serial numbers are still good. Well, of course, nobody in the Ukraine would take it anymore because they thought it was like, you know, something Soiled. wrong with it. So I just like came up to my leader and I was like, 
uh, can I just give these to you and you can just give me some fresh bills and they all bug me for years about that yeah. so folks leaving your money around especially in a light is a terrible idea mm-hmm. but here's another story okay also just a, a yeah. side note on that I yeah, don't comment I, on that yeah. I don't think it's supposed to be the Ukraine for whatever reason it's it's coming to our lexicon that one country in the world is the yeah, country. Well, why do we do that? Just sort I, of, just don't know, but slipped off the tongue I, I know a, a friend who I think is a, a listener, and he's done a, a lot of work um, in Ukraine. Yes, in the last few years, especially with the conflict See, there. It sounds he, wrong. He works in Ukraine, but yeah, yeah, he works in in conflict zones. Hey, Paul, if you're listening, mm. and yeah, it's just Ukraine. Okay, no, it's good to know Ukraine. Well, let me tell you my experience at Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> was the Ukrainian people were, were still some of the most kind and generous people I've met all over the world. They were amazing. I mean, they they had they had so little, but uh, they they would invite us over for meals and cook up an absolute feast. Way like way like we're talking cruise type amounts of food. Way too much food. And then we would sit and we we I mean get so full and they would not eat. Hmm. Like they wouldn't even eat with us in the room. I, I never understood that. It was just, they were so happy to, to, to bring in, and I never forgot that either. So that was a special time in my life, but I, I did learn things about uh, illumination and not uh, putting money yeah, close to that, light bulbs. The light often creates heat. That was, <laughs> that's what John learned in <laughs> Ukraine. In, the, um, in Ukraine. Yeah. But it, it is a wonderful idea, and you hear it all the time about people who have the least are the most generous mm-hmm. and often it can work the other way as well that people who have excess are less generous yeah and assholes and yeah that's one way of putting it um <laughs> it in it's it's a bizarre it is yeah. uh, analogy or a bizarre observation that people in poverty are sometimes more welcoming with their things mm-hmm. than people who have abundance and we talk a lot about abundance and mindset around money in in the episode today and uh, so i think we're at least somewhat on track with our introduction which is rare no we really did mindset i mean we had a financial expert in today and in mindset and habits really was the talk of the day in fact he corrected andrew and i multiple times on words we used Mm -hmm. um, erroneously yeah or Um, yeah just a way of thinking about certain parts mm -hmm. of the financial world that are probably our own um biases for sure unconscious biases that we all have and whether it's related to our story of money or our feelings about ourselves um that can often create our financial situation Mm -hmm. and for for better or worse it can be quite damaging it can be part of the reason that there is a cycle of debt in someone's life even even through generations like families can pass these bad habits and mike spoke openly about that as well is, is even some of the things his parents would say about money either good or bad um began to create his own dialogue and and cause some of the some of the struggles he himself had with money mm-hmm. but then he he was able to uh, learn from them and and now advise people on on how to be wiser. So anyway, speaking of money, <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering, here, here, would here you like is. to get back off track by yeah, telling your other story? This one's kind of on track, and it's a cool story. So this is back when I worked for Schwann's. I can't remember if I t- talked about this before, but Schwann's used to be they used to um, we, we'd sell a premium frozen foods. Okay, so this but is like, not but you weren't selling Swans, right? <laughs> can you, no, can it's you... Schwann's. <laughs> it was actually spelled S. 
C H W A N S. Thank you. Schwans. Yeah, nobody knew how to say it either. Yeah, they'd be like, "Is it Schwans?" So it's Schwans, and I had my own truck, and I was young. I mean, I was I was like twenty back when you were, you know, that was when you were working on the cruise ship. Well, not no. Exactly. When you were twenty, I was yeah, like, you were like kindergarten. Dead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dead. <laughs> no, not dead. You're a pre-life. That doesn't mean you're dead, right? <laughs> that's a, no, that's I get, a whole philosophical I get, conversation yeah, for another episode. We'll deal with that later. But <laughs> you're dead. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> My Christian background? No, they don't teach that. Anyways, we might want to take that out. <laughs> no, we're keeping it. You are dead. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I worked for Schwann's and I sold premium frozen foods. So it was primarily ice cream, like ice cream sandwiches and, and amazing food like that. But we also sold frozen meats and it was, it was, um, it was uh, commission based. And so I got uh, like, I think it was 10 or 11% commission. <laughs> like laughing, but also freaked out that I said he was dead when I was a 20 year old. Yeah. Ah, okay. Okay, for the record, you weren't dead. You were actually very much alive. But even if you weren't born, you weren't dead. Mm. Right? You were pre-life hmm. or just not yet born hmm. or conceived but of, not yet. Yeah. I was in a different... Who knows how the afterlife <laughs> or pre-life works? I don't Not I. Not I. So that frozen ice cream, I tell you, it flew out of my truck, um, especially on paydays. And um, I was just selling, selling up a storm. Well, I had one customer who literally lived in the woods. Like, like when I looked at his, when I inherited the route and I looked at the, or the customer list, it just said like a uh, hermit. <laughs> that was literally what it As said. As occupation? Yeah. Oh. That was just like hermit and then no fixed address. And there was, there was directions on there on how to find his place. And, and I, I, I shit you not, this was the directions. It was um, drive past the house number 2279. You're going to come to the woods on the left. Stop <laughs> when you get to like the yellow flag. Honk three times and wait. And so the first time I went, I was like, okay, is this a joke? Are they like winding me up? But I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't like to leave money on the table. And so I did it. I went up to the yellow flag. I honk, honk, honk. And I just like sat there waiting. I was like, this is ridiculous. Don't see anybody. I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. But I'm going to try it one more time. Honk, honk, honk. I sat there waiting. I look in the woods and I just see this, this guy kind of come out of nowhere. He comes walking up to me and I was like, I'm terrified. I mean, what, what's, what is about to happen? I was like, do I get out of the truck? So I start to kind of open the door and he just pulls out the Schwann's catalog, which everybody had. And he just points. He didn't speak to me at all. He just pointed and there was a bunch of things circled. And he just pointed to the thing, pointed to the book and then pointed to my truck. And I was like, all right. So I like got out, got him all his things, handed them to him. And I was like, all right, so where, you know, money? And he just goes like this and pulls out this like Ziploc bag full of like more money than I'd ever seen in my life. And I was just like, holy shit. And so he, he pulls out the money, gives him gives it to me, pays. I leave. I'm done. That was my first experience with him. I couldn't wait to see him again in a couple <laughs> weeks, right? Because it was every two weeks. So I come back two weeks later, honk, honk, honk. He comes out. This time he does does the whole thing again, shows me the book, you know, I get the things he wants. Then he shows me a Canadian Tire Flyer with a couple things like circled that he wanted me to go. Just be your his and, personal shopper. Exactly. He picked and he points to the prices and, you, you know, he's like kind of thumbs up. And I was like, <laughs> sure, yeah. And he pulls out his wad of Ziploc money that he had, pays it to me. 
and uh, and I picked up for his Canadian Tire stuff. Well, <laughs> another time, this was near near the end. Another experience I had is I'd come. I've been doing this for like a year. Hong Kong, Hong. He comes out. Hong Kong, Hong. Well, one of the last times, Hong Kong, Hong. There's no answer. Right? Oh no! Like no answer. Like I don't see anybody. Hong Kong, Hong. There's no answer, and I'm like Hermie. <laughs> where are you so i did the unthinkable i got out of the truck oh wow and i walked into the woods because i am not leaving money on the table <laughs> and i and i walked up to his like his little shelter and as i got closer i could see it was like literally dug into the ground like he literally lived underground well like also this where is is this in saskatchewan <laughs> this was in manitoba manitoba yeah where you're living minus in the woods. 40 degrees baby goodness so yeah, yeah like so, dig, dig deep man so he yeah he dug deep and he, and he was living under there and um i look in there and he sees me and let me tell you i've never seen a guy so surprised in his life <laughs> and he was not happy about no that. but like i saw like i saw for like 10 seconds like how he lived because i was like how does he even keep this food like you know from spoiling and stuff he had mm-hmm. a whole system um and and i just never forgot and and so now whenever i hear the expression you know lay money on your mattress i'm like this guy like literally kept it in a bag in the hole in the ground hmm. and somehow he heard about schwann's and was buying like <laughs> that's pr- that, pr- premium <laughs> premium ice cream that's the thing that stands out to me about this story yeah. is that there's this person who wants the most distance from society they can ever get <laughs> doesn't even speak to anyone but he needs his premium ice cream oh man and if you tried it you would agree i mean yeah. those are the those that ice cream was amazing but yeah never forgot that there is people like that and i always wondered his story mm-hmm. i always wondered what uh, and then i you know soon soon left that job and got it got a different job but uh but i, I always wonder what happened to him yeah and schwann's is, i wonder if they're still making premium ice cream no so they they actually closed like the year after i left uh-huh. they just you know once i left i mean what's the point really? yeah i mean it's, they didn't they know, didn't have their guy I get to hong kong kong yeah <laughs> <laughs> hong kong kong there it is yeah there's a, if you're interested in the the mindset of a hermit there's mm-hmm. a fantastic book that i read recently called the stranger in the woods really? that is about a guy who lived i think for about 30 years um in maine and it also in a really cold climate and yeah. uh, he no one had spoken to him for yeah multiple decades and then he ended up getting caught um because he, to survive he wasn't ordering from schwann's obviously no. they didn't deliver to maine yeah um but he he wouldn't go anywhere near anyone but he would break into cottages and like take little bits of food right. and cans yeah. and that's how he ended up getting caught because he was kind of doing this petty crime stuff and and which was making people feel violated and fearful which you know he wasn't he was he was breaking the law but he got um, he got caught and pers- uh, prosecuted, and then this author got really interested in the story and wanted to hear more about him, and so it kind of ended up speaking to one another and, and then finding out a lot more of the information in the backstory and then uh, writing this book, which is fascinating. And And it doesn't just explore this particular story, but also kind of the mm-hmm. the larger... Yeah, question. Uh, yeah, the the mindset and the sociological kind of mm-hmm. factors that would drive someone to want to Absolutely. stray away from society and, and have that extreme solitude and, and just not want to contribute to 
to what what happens in in civilization and it's fascinating and, and i would highly recommend it strange yeah. in the woods Please. i mean you know i never thought that hermits would come up on the podcast but mm-hmm. it has and it turns out that uh it was a worthwhile journey yeah and, and i want to take a look at that book now so that's one one way you can uh deal with money and <laughs> yeah. probably not what our financial advisor no. and friend of the podcast mr michael riley not quarterback in the cfl no he's not but yeah. there, there's a connection there. That Much to my dis- initial disappointment. Yeah. But later, I, I was glad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, don't leave your money laying around in your house on Alder Avenue. Don't, nope. don't leave it in a lampshade or a light, light... Light fixture. Light fixture. Sure, thank you. And don't leave it, uh, don't leave it in the woods unless you're going to, you know, pay the delivery driver. Mm-hmm. Get a good financial planner. He'll help you avoid all those mistakes. And hard hard as it is to believe, there's actually even better advice than that if you keep listening to this episode. Oh, yeah. Enjoy, folks. Mike Riley, welcome back to the podcast. We're, we're thrilled to have you on. You were part of our Your Entrepreneurship Summit episode way back in the spring. And you are not the quarterback for the BC Lions. I am not the quarterback of the BC yeah, Lions. Yeah, because it's but... funny when I Googled your name this morning, I was like, hmm, okay, that's funny. He was able to clear his schedule. <laughs> and people <laughs> often mistake us. Yeah, well, <laughs> and they would. <laughs> you do a lot of things. And you often wear uh, really tight pants as well when you're, <laughs> and when you're I, out there. I get pretty handsy. <laughs> yeah, throw a great deep ball. <laughs> but for a second, I, I was actually confused because I was like, Mike Riley opens up about his mental health challenges. So I was like, well, that's, yeah, that's exactly why he's coming on the podcast. That's perfect. And then I was like, no, that's ridiculous. And this was four in the morning. So yeah. I wasn't really thinking, but yeah, just so listeners, if you tuned in today because you thought this was the BC Lions quarterback, don't be disappointed. We got someone better. He's got a lower <laughs> voice and he's better with his money. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, I will say that I did get a lovely gift from Mike Riley, the quarterback, when he was with the Edmonton Eskimos. We have friends in common and uh, he sent me a game ball that was in, and wrote on it to Mike Riley from Mike Riley. No way. Go Esks number 13. Cool. That yeah. is so cool. Because right, the R-E-I-L-L-Y spelling is somewhat unusual. Ah, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's a great connection. Are, are you an Eskimos fan? Uh, I'm a Blue Bombers fan. Okay. Are you really? Yeah. So am I. We'll, yeah. we'll get into your journey. And it's a good year for us. It is. Yeah, except for Harris. Although, hopefully, he can come back now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they they need that weapon. Poor guy. We're speaking to the three percent of the listener <laughs> listenership that pays attention to the well, CFL. Hello, three percent. Oh yeah. man, we have so many prairie listeners and prairie guests too. Yeah, and and you've lived all over the country, but we'll get to that. Sure. Um, so as a as a more proper introduction, you uh, you're a friend of the podcast. You've been here before. We we get to see each other quite often, which is always a treat. And uh, you do a lot of things, none of which are playing in the CFL, but... <laughs> yet. Yet. Yeah, yet. <laughs> Late bloomer. Um, but you're the president of the West Shore Chamber of Commerce. I am. You are part of the Rotary Club and do amazing work with them. You volunteer for Junior Achievement. Oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. I was thinking, I was trying to list out all the stuff I do this morning, and that that was left off. I got it. Um <laughs> You're part of Advocates, which is an association of financial advisors, mm-hmm. and you're on the board there? Or I you, am, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you do some work to actually generate income uh, as well. <laughs> Once in a somehow. while. <laughs> yeah, for Freedom 55 Financial. Yeah, and I'm also on the board of the 100 Men Who Care Victoria, which is another group that uh, we, we do. We raise money for local charities, mm. and that's a lot of fun. 
yeah i've uh, seen those events and i'm i'll be at one soon excellent I, I look forward to that you'd be a welcome asset cool and you're also unofficially part of the bass voice club of <laughs> the west shore <laughs> and you've joined andrew and one day maybe i will join <laughs> but probably not because well, i'm my voice <laughs> well someone has to carry the melody yeah. Hey, well, there you go, Andrew. <laughs> I'm not going to try and compete with you anymore. Hey, every voice is, is special, no, John. I will stay melodious. Um, so, question I had to start off when listing all of those organizations that you're part of is, why is it important to you to be of service? Let's... That's a great question, and one I was not prepared with a tidy answer for. <laughs> Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily a conscious decision, um, but I know that uh, you know I've certainly been the benefactor of a lot of great people who've helped me in my life, from you know my family to teachers to coaches to other business mentors. And uh, you know when I when I look at what I'm doing in the week, if I was just to devote my time strictly to business, and and, and in the business it is a business of service to begin with, but there are just so many great opportunities uh, to to make our local communities uh, better, and I have the means to do it. I, I have a career that allows me that time. Uh, I've been able to um, put myself in some positions of moderate influence, and, uh, and it's a weird way to say that, but um, I, I can't imagine doing this without being able to give back. You know, I find my people who who do noble things um, just naturally um, often struggle to have a reason. They're just like, "Well, what do you what do you mean? Like, it's that's the right thing to do, and that's that's what makes you stand out." Um, but if we can dig in a little bit, was this an example to you growing up? Like, did, did were you raised in a household where volunteering was important, was a value, or was this something picked up later in life? Um, not that I was aware of. It, it wasn't professed to me as a as a virtue okay um but it it probably is something that i i gained through osmosis just you know the way that that my parents were uh, you know pillars in the community probably not to the same degree but um uh it's tr- trying to think of, of of how it is that it, it came to pass because i don't know that's really a conscious decision and maybe Maybe it's also a weakness of mine because I'm also one of those personalities that loves to start things, but I have a really hard time yeah. finishing. Yeah, yeah. So you combine that with a willingness to to, to say yes to things. Right. So it's well, let's let's raise money to to build a children's playground in Langford. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea, and it'll be fun, <laughs> and we'll you know we'll get together, and uh, it's like those the old. Um, uh, Mickey Rooney, Judy Garland movies where you know, we're going to yeah. put on a show in the barn and my mom can make costumes and then we're <laughs> taking it to Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, yeah, so I get really excited about those sorts of things and, and I'm really lucky to, to have a partner in my wife, Karen, who is often the voice of reason about, well, she, she'll say, well, I understand that you really want to do that, but what does it mean to the other things that you've already committed to as well as your family and your business? But I totally hear that. I'm, I, I'm, I'm like that. Mm-hmm. I'm like a you know the fire let's get it going let's go we can do it yeah, and like let's get, have a podcast yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly and then but you need people around you who are just as excited to continue that along mm-hmm. and so that's where teams come in sure. right and you need people like you mm. 
right? Because some of the people who are great at the details and keeping it going, not saying you're not, but but who really are passionate about that kind of stuff, um, may, may not be as passionate about being like the raw, raw, let's get going, ignite a fire under people. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we need teams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you did manage to take that children's playground to, to Broadway, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. It just opened the Sarah Beckett Memorial Park a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's fantastic. And that yeah. definitely was a team because the, the group with Rotary... Uh, the Chamber of Commerce, the, the City of Langford, the City of Colwood, the City of View Royal—all of those entities worked really hard to to drag what was a very ambitious plan across the goal line uh, on time and and within the budget. Hmm. Yeah, awesome to be a part of. Yeah. And and being of service, it has that. It brings that back to yourself as well. I mean, it's not why we we do things, why we volunteer, but there is a an intrinsic. Uh, Reward that that we receive when we can be part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Sure. And, oh, for and sure. It's... Well, and this kind of reminds me of one of our earlier episodes, Karina's. She talked about actually she credits volunteerism to getting her out of her like depression mm. and and her stagnancy. And and that episode is about uh, um, how to how to get past your stagnant life. Yeah. Or how to kick your stagnant life to the curb. Yeah. Um, good episode. And she talked openly about how volunteerism is just. That's that's the way to go when you're stuck in yourself. Mm-hmm. Perhaps look outside yourself mm-hmm. and focus on others. Well, that's a great lesson. Whenever you're you're feeling down about yourself, look to somebody to help, and it makes the it turns everything around for it you. It Does yeah, because um, you can sit and feel sorry yeah. for the circumstance that you have, and we all have points where where we suffer from from one loss or or uh, sadness for sure. Uh, but. Uh, and, and, and the other side, and, and there, there's a certain selfishness to it, too, because so many of these organizations that I belong to end up becoming social outlets. I mean, we've become friends yes. through that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I go to events and, and it's just like hanging out with a, with a bunch of pals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm as vain as the next person, too. Oh, for sure. There's a lot to be said for being able to... <laughs> Except when you're sitting beside John. <laughs> <laughs> isn't, isn't he the next person? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, you know, we, we, we go to Walmart or you, you're just walking around town and you run into people that you know because you've done these things. And it's, it's, it, I find it really validating to, to be in a place where I, I have every expectation that I'm going to run into two or three people that I know and we're going to catch up. And and as well, and, and a part of that I think is, you're often you find yourself among people with similar values when you're doing that mm-hmm. kind yeah, of work. Exactly. Which and and when you find people that you're aligned with in values, that's like that's when real quality deep relationships happen. Yeah. It's uh, it's awesome. And in aligned with that as well, um, you mentioned mentors and teachers mm-hmm. earlier. Any particular that that would come jump to mind for having a profound influence uh, an earlier part of your life or, or, or really made an impact in, in turning Mike Riley into the, the guy he is today? Well, obviously, my, my immediate family, my, my parents and my grandparents all were, were uh, very hardworking individuals with high values and ethics. Um, so that was le- leading by example. Uh, my my high school wrestling coach was probably the first significant non-family member uh, and a lot of the values that, that he instilled in, in working hard and believing in yourself and, and helping others, uh, which is odd in, in wrestling because it's, it's not really a team sport and yet you are a team. Uh, everybody on the team is responsible for the success of, of the other individuals because through that competition um, you build. Yeah. And, and I'll find now... 
you know, when I've been coaching or just with my own kids, many of the aphorisms that, that he used to, to say will just pop out of my mouth mm -hmm. too about, uh, yeah. you know, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Right, and, yeah. You know, I should never have to tell you to, to start. I should only ever have to tell you to stop. Yeah. Those <laughs> are good. Can, those are good. Yeah. Can keep them coming. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I love those kind of quotes. <laughs> John's doing push-ups now. <laughs> yeah. Challenging you to wrestling match. <laughs> um, and then uh, when I was rowing at UVic, uh, a number of the coaches that, that I had there, again, the same sort of, of discipline uh, was instilled. And then uh, some of the early uh, business people that I worked with, um, and I, that gave me sort of the first taste of entrepreneurship. I knew fairly early on that I didn't want to have a, a job job. Um, yeah. I wanted something that uh, where I controlled what it was that I did, what my schedule was, that I got to choose you know, where I focused my time. Um, it took me quite a while to get to that point, um, but I knew in, in seeing the the when I was working in the in the uh, wildlife management field, seeing the consultants that I that I worked for, seeing the kind of lifestyles that they had, uh, I knew that that was where I wanted to take a practice at some point. What's a job job? <laughs> My mom talks like that all the time too. Yeah, she always, to emphasize, we'll just repeat the word. But I know what you're saying. Yeah. You mean not like a conventional nine to five. Yeah, job, where right? you have to be someplace like, on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> I love that though. A job job. <laughs> and yeah. there's a benefits plan. Who likes a job job? None of us here have job jobs. I have no interest in having one. <laughs> well, that's why we're sitting in your, in your mom's that's right. house on a Wednesday At 11 a.m. Yeah. drinking tea. <laughs> we don't have job jobs. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of amazing we've made Wednesday morning podcast recordings work with so many of our guests. I know. That's right. Well, they're so honored to be asked that they just clear their schedule in. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's obvious. Yeah. <laughs> Must be it. <laughs> so biology was what you went to, yeah. what you studied in university, mm -hmm. and hence the wildlife management. Yeah. Yeah. So why biology? Um, it, it, that was, I wouldn't say accidental. Um the expectation, my, my father is a superior court judge, and the expectation had always been that I would go into either law or medicine, one of the tr two traditional professional fields. Yeah. Neither of them really appealed to me uh, in, in a lot of ways because I had seen you know, my father and, and his um, colleagues, you know, the amount of time and, and work that they put into their careers. Uh, in many cases, I think law and medicine those have to be your first loves. And even though many doctors and lawyers and other professionals of that may deny that, I think the successful ones, that dedication to that profession is over and above anything else. And I, I knew I just didn't have the kind of of uh, passion for it that would have me you know, putting in 12 and 15 hour days uh, at that. I wanted to, to also have a family and, and be around for, for them as well. And that must've been a really useful piece of awareness at that point, because often there, you hear stories of people following in their father's footsteps of a, a position like that, and then go, and, and sometimes it works out successfully, but sometimes if you're doing something that you're not mm -hmm. highly passionate about, for sure, yeah. um, that can get you into a lot of trouble. If, if you're trying to live up to someone else's expectations mm -hmm. or, or follow someone else's goals, that's a, a, a road to disaster absolutely um, um special and especially if that um, decision is costing you three or four hundred thousand dollars for the for the schooling <laughs> totally <right>? yeah <laughs> um i wanted to touch on 
this topic or go a little bit further into this and and the uh the idea that we should potentially rename our podcast daddy issues came to mind <laughs> because we so often get into this um conversation but we do how, yeah how was it um growing up in a household with your dad being a judge mm-hmm. um which is a high profile position um obviously one of great authority and yeah. uh, quite uh, you know a reputation and, and a strong value system as well lots of positive things about that position but um how did it affect your growing up and your adolescence and, and becoming a man yourself well it, it's hard to be able to say how it affected me because in the absence of a control group i don't know who i would have been if i hadn't been in that, in that circumstance um but uh you know i i I was born in 1966, so my particular part of my generation was still fairly traditional with, uh, my mom worked, but she didn't work full time. And and a lot of moms were either not working or were just working part time. Um, It was still expected that when my dad was at work, he was at work. And my mom never phoned him to say, you know, this has happened at the house or you have to come home to do one thing, one thing or another. I think those days are certainly long gone. That's that's been my experience. Um, so, f- for growing up, my dad, he and I had had a great relationship. I had a great um, childhood. I have nothing to complain. But uh, I know that he was not there for a lot of some of the seminal events in in my life, unless they were later in the evening or or, or on a weekend. Um, whereas, you know, I've been involved with my kids, I've coached their teams, I've been in their schools, I've done the pickups and the drop-offs or, you know, shifted time if there was an early dismissal. Um, I mean, I imagine that, that you've been, this, I know you're a very involved father, John. And, yeah, for sure. But um, you have six kids, right? Th- from two different marriages. Yeah, yeah but six. Yeah, yeah so I, I, I've been a dad I only have half for, that for many 30 many. years, yeah. <laughs> almost. <laughs> Yeah, and, and so that kind of leads me to, to a question. I, w- I was wondering when Andrew went through that list of places you volunteer at, and we'll put those in the show notes because I'm sure the listeners can't keep track of how many places you volunteer. Mm-hmm. But you volunteer at all those places. Uh, you have a successful business. You have six kids. Um, you know, you're a busy guy. We talk a lot about balance. How how the heck do you do you handle that obstacle of balancing all that so um, it each gets its due attention? Well, you're assuming that that it does. I tend to assume. <laughs> yeah, one I tend to thing. assume. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> There's, uh, I, I have been made aware of balls that have been dropped <laughs> over time. Yeah. Uh, I'm very lucky. I have a very supportive wife. Um, and, and my first wife, for a lot of the time when our marriage was, was successful, you know, she was very good at that, too, that we co-parented well together. Um uh, so you you, ab- you absolutely have to have somebody that that you know, fills in for your weaknesses. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we make a practice, Karen and I, of sitting down with our calendars on a, on at least weekly, but sometimes uh, multiple times during the week, and adjust for you know who's here and who's where and who needs to be at, at this event or that event. And um, I probably do more than than I. I should or more than she would prefer that was outside of the, the house. Um, but the other thing, and again, this is to her credit, because I think if, if I was with someone who was much more of an introvert, 
uh, this wouldn't work, but she often accompanies me to mm. a lot of the events. Um, yeah. So it's it's not like, you know, if I'm at, at a yes mixer or at a chamber mixer that is, she's waiting at home, she's there with people that have become her friends too. So it's not quite a date night, but it comes mm. pretty darn close. That's great. If we can go back to a, a transition time in your life when you decided to begin the new career that mm. you do now. Um, can you describe the the events around that decision and, and why you chose to completely jump out of one area of a comfort zone and sure. into a new one? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I remember it uh, very well. It would have been... So at, at the time that I was starting to, to make the, the move from where I had been, and at that point in my career, uh, this would have been... Um, around 2010, when I started to, to look above where I, I was. Uh, was that Hewlett Packard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was with a division of HP, yeah. uh, which it was responsible for uh, offloading a lot of the data management that the provincial government was doing into a private unionized environment. Um, but I, I knew at that time, so I was going, I'd been going through a divorce, which uh, it absolutely turns your world upside down and and uh, brings out a lot of uh, of issues about who you are as especially since we tie our identity so much to you know I'm a, I'm a father I'm a I'm a I'm a husband I'm a this I'm a that and when those things are gone you have to really figure out who you are when when mm. those um, identities are stripped away uh, I knew so I was in my how old, how old was I then I would have been in my mid 40s and i was aware that to that point i'd lived a life that was a very good one and i couldn't complain but it hadn't been one where i felt like i was truly in my passion professionally and i knew that i i really only had one more opportunity to make a, a big change because as you get older the window tends to get a little smaller and so I kind of looked around. I knew that I wanted to be of value and service in some capacity and what sort of, uh, of career um, that, that would serve that. I liked the idea of entrepreneurship, but I didn't really want to you know, run a business from all by myself from scratch. And I remember being in my annual review with my supervisor. This would have been in the summer of 2012. And... For anyone who's been through their annual review, it's a lot of the same questions. And he hit that uh, hit that question: Where do you see yourself in five years? And I thought, fuck, <laughs> <laughs> five more years? Yeah, uh, I don't see myself here at all in five years. But without making a change, five years just goes by, and you're still there. Oh, and we've sure. we've all seen people that started a job right out of, of high school or university and they retire and at their retirement party, you know, they've been in that same desk looking through that same window yeah. that, that entire time. And I, I, I just, that was uh, sort of an epiphany hmm. for me. And I, I knew that I, I wanted to make the change, all those other qualities I was looking for. And I had been, um, I'd been a client of the of the Freedom Fifty Five organization for whom I'm currently licensed, uh, with my advisor George Sigurdsson out of Winnipeg, and 
I had a great experience working with him. It was one of the reasons why my divorce had been uh, less destructive than it could have been. Um, I learned an awful lot about uh, financial management and attitudes towards money, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. And I thought, you know, he's had a great career. He's built a big business. He's helped a lot of people. And I thought maybe I should do that. And I talked to him and I laid it all out. And he said, great, let's get you going. And uh, I left HP uh, within the month and Mm. did all my licensing and started uh, the business in December of 2012 with no clients other than myself. (laughs) And... Did that answer the question? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Sure. It, it created a few more, though, which, which <laughs> is the hope. That's a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I just want to give credit to that courage to leave something that was familiar and, and go into something else. And I went through a transition like that a couple of years ago, but it wasn't all of my own creation. Yeah. And and, and, and it, I'll, to be honest, it... They, they helped push me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, and sometimes that's what we need. Yeah. Some, sometimes it's the best thing that can ever happen, even if it seems a little bit ugly or, or rough mm-hmm. or, or really ugly and really <laughs> rough, which can happen. Um, it, yeah, we, we don't always give ourselves the new opportunities yeah. to, to really jump into something. So it, and well, change is scary. It is. Yeah. And, but it's exactly what we need some of the time. So just hearing more stories like that hopefully motivates people and, and ourselves to just be the catalyst of our own change. Um, so one of those kind of scary or, or rough times, um, and w- which uh, you mentioned a few minutes ago, um, in regards to the divorce and um, the loss of identity, mm-hmm. or what parts of you fell away at that point, and then what, what did the rebuilding and, and were, were there any new things added um, in, in that process? Well, I, I really enjoyed being married. I, I found, uh, you know, being a dad and a husband, it was a really fulfilling um, part of my life. So, you know, I, I want to make it clear that my experience being married to my first wife was, for the most part, a really great experience. And if it hadn't been, I wouldn't have even been open to, to getting married again. Uh, what was difficult, I think, was... Um, the, the identity was a bit of a struggle um, because you know, so much changes. You, you're, you're together, you, know, you have things together, you share things together. Um, all of a sudden, uh, and especially if it's not really your choice, and, and it doesn't happen overnight. Like it, it's, it's a slow, it's a boiling of the frog kind of thing. And when I look back on it, uh, if I had been able to talk to my 38-year-old self or my 40-year-old self at some of the times... I would have wanted to have shaken that individual to say, you know, do you realize the sort of behaviors that you're involved in right now and, and how this is you know, not productive to you or to the people around you? Um, but you're not aware it, your, your new normal becomes just another piece of clothing that you put on that's scratchy at first, but then becomes comfortable. Um, what were some of those behaviors? Do you mind sharing? Um this is where we start to get uh, prod a little bit. If, yeah. you're, if you're not comfortable, that's yeah. fine. No, 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 that, that's fine. Um, it, in, in many cases, it's um, very often in, in any type of relationship, there, there may be one person that's, that's suffering from their own particular issues. And well, for sure. they may not have the awareness or the tools to, to deal with those. And, and we as 
loving partners, and it happens in, in both sexes, um, are trying to do their best to help that person through mm-hmm. those particular issues that they have. But what I did learn from that, and probably one of my, my biggest takeaways from all of that, is that um, you can't help someone else through their issues just based on your own love, compassion, charisma, influence. You, know, you can you can want a person to make better decisions for themselves, uh, but until they do, there's there's really nothing hmm. you can do. You're, and so, and, and I don't want to make it sound one sided because I'm sure no. that she would have many things to say about the issues that I that I had as well. Um, but I know that in, for my own kids, one of the things I've always said to them when they've they've been in issues like this, and, and when your kids are dating. Or, you know, they have relationship issues and and I'll say you know you, you're not responsible for somebody else's happiness hmm. they have to make themselves happy yeah. I mean you can create you can be supportive of them but it's not your job to jump up and down and right yeah juggle so that you know you, you entertain them for a moment because when all of that stops they still have to be the person that's dealing with whatever unhappiness that they have yeah well, and, and what what I'm curious about, Mike, is is the guy you talked about, the 38, the 40 year old yeah. you, that you wish you could go back and maybe perhaps talk about those behaviors. Perhaps how is the current Mike different than the 40 year old Mike? Oh, yeah. Okay. So that that thank you. That that's where I was going to go with this. So, sure. um, what I what I so when I in in looking back uh you know i I can see certain behaviors that either i was exhibiting or that i that i i i helped or enabled in in my ex that you know were not good for either of us not that i could have done anything about it at the time but what it what i found afterwards was when i began uh you know my new relationship it took a long time to get rid of the behaviors that i had it that, that were you know what i knew as as you know, management um that you know when 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 we when karen and i if we had a disagreement about something it didn't mean that everything was going to blow up because what i remembered a lot from my first marriage was that things which i would have thought were somewhat trivial issues were you know catastrophic within the marriage itself which re- involved a lot of you know okay how do i fix this how, how do i you know throw you know, a fire suppression on, on this particular explosion that we've got going on here. And that level of anxiety uh, was was always very high, but that becomes a learned response. So, you know, you go into a new relationship and, you know, something goes wrong that uh, I can't even think of a minor example, but, uh, you know, someone was late for an event or something. It's like, okay, okay, I get my, I get my fire suit on and get ready to fight this. And, yeah. and you should go, well, no, you know, it's annoying. But it's not a big deal. We'll get through this. I'm like, oh, okay. People can do that. That's <laughs> that's refreshing to know. But it took a long time um, for for us to get to that point. And and I was lucky to be with someone who was aware of the struggle that I had in that. Well, and your point is really well taken. I mean, this is this is one of those moments for me. I love, love these moments every episode where it's just like, wow, had had a bit of a eureka moment, like. You know, we're always taught. Well, I certainly grew up with the whole phrase of like, when you become married, you become one flesh, mm. right? And and that, and there's a sense of wholeness, and then there's this sense of I'm responsible for my partner's wholeness mm-hmm. because we're one flesh now, right? And so if there's a crack, then it's my fault, yeah. 
right? But what you said is we're not responsible for someone else's happiness. If they're if they're not whole, um, you're there gonna you're gonna be there to support them and help them get the support they need. But it's not your fault. You can't take it personally, mm-hmm. and you and it's not your job to necessarily fix it. Mm-hmm. There's there's professionals out there that can help with such things, and I think that's a really important message for a lot of people because I wonder how many marriages dissolve because you know somebody's has has a normal human crack mm-hmm. and the other partner is is like you know at the depths of his despair trying to solve it or taking it personally or resenting it so yeah i think that's a brilliant point you brought yeah. up thanks yeah. yeah and and it's not it's not necessarily about mental health because that's a whole other bigger issue and a bigger label but just regular old-fashioned human sadness and suffering absolutely is something yeah. that we don't deal with on a society basis that you know if you feel sad you know go home or talk to your friends or eat some ice cream or or have a drink which is a terrible solution for it yeah um but it's it, it, helping people understand that it's okay to feel bad we're not supposed to be happy all the time no. that yeah. you're, you feel sad today but a few hours from now it'll go away or tomorrow morning it'll you'll be better and if and if not then it's probably something more serious and you should seek mm-hmm. uh, professional help with that and that's okay too mm-hmm. you talked a little bit about the how you've used those experiences to help guide your children and mm-hmm. um and i want to shift the conversation a little bit to um some of the work you do with children in the classroom and the work with junior achievement Mm -hmm. and so describe a little bit about uh, what that looks like so the junior achievement program has been around i think it's 75 years in bc and it really is a great program to go into schools they have they have programs from middle school grade six uh, right up through high school that deal with money finances entrepreneurship business uh, you do not have to be a financial professional to deliver this. You can be a business person of, of any sort. The material is all prepackaged, so it's almost um, foolproof. Uh, and then they let me do it, and I, I am <laughs> do, not a financial right. expert by any means. So, so you've done the program. Yeah, and yeah. I think Andrew has yeah, as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah perfect. Um, so where, where I focus my time on this is, of course, the material is there, and and you can you can have the kids go through it but i really like to lead the sort of awareness sessions with the kids to get them to talk about money Uh, Mm -hmm. because money is one of those uh issues that people have so many uh behaviors wrapped up in it so many superstitions so many mm-hmm. uh you think of all of the um idioms that we have that you know money's the root of all evil money can't buy happiness uh that we have this negative attitude towards money in a, in a lot of cases um but it's also seen as as a magic bullet that it's a solution to a lot of your problems so when i when i get my million from the, from the lottery, then my whole life is going to change. And, mm-hmm. and it, it does none of those things. It's, no. it's neither good nor bad. It's just a tool like anything else. So helping kids understand that um, they, they have opportunities to earn money. They have opportunities to do things with money that are entirely their choice. And they have opportunities to, to set goals that are time bound and specific that they can direct their money towards. 
and so what's really fun is, is in the classroom, well, we, we, we deal with the nuts and bolts of whatever the program is that we're teaching, but just get kids talking about how do you earn money? You know, what's your job? And what do you do with it? And uh, we had a session last fall where the kids were talking about um, what they what some of the purchases they wanted to make. And like so many people, they use language that is vague. Uh, you know, I'd really like to, to uh, the example was a cell phone. I want to buy a cell phone someday or when I get my cell phone. And I said, okay, let's, let's break that down. How much is the cell phone? Mm-hmm. And so many hundreds of dollars. Great. How much money do you have now? And she, the, the girl said that. And I said, well, how much money are you earning currently at your part-time job? And she told me that. And I said, how much of that money are you willing to set aside to get to the, your goal of getting the cell phone? And she told me that. I said, okay, well, based on this is your goal, this is how much you have, this is how much you about you, you're committing to set aside. This is X weeks until you get your cell phone, and the light just went on in her head. I was like, oh, it stopped being this unattainable dream mm-hmm. and became something that she was was concrete in her mind that was going to be achievable with much less effort than she thought. And that's a very small example that is so translatable to just about everybody else, about buying a car, mm-hmm. about buying a house, about reti- planning for the kid's education, about retiring. It really is just about when do you have to have it, how much do you have now, what are you willing to put towards it? And in many cases, it, it has little to do with what the stock market's going to do. Well, so, of course, the danger that credit has mm-hmm. is it like just destroys that whole process. Yeah, I it's, was just, just thinking the same thing, like, right. oh, why didn't you just tell her to take out a loan and <laughs> yeah. you'll have it right now? <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. And that, that's got to be one of the biggest obstacles when it comes to money. I know it has been in my life for sure. Sure. It just, you know, the more money you start making, the, the happier banks are to give you more. Mm-hmm. You know, and oh, okay, you want another, and and uh, it can it can be very enticing in the moment, right? Especially if you're in a growth mindset with your business, yeah. or, or or you're trying to keep up with the Joneses, those damn Joneses. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're you're happy to be, but obviously, you know, it can get you into severe problems. I mean, twenty percent interest, mm-hmm. um, you know, has taken down many people. Oh yeah, well, we yeah. tend we tend as humans to be overly optimistic about what we can accomplish. Right. So when you take on a loan. Uh, there's always that, oh yeah, we'll all be able to pay that off because it's really not that big a deal. Um, but people don't right. then set the behavior in right. order to accomplish that. It right. just remains, yeah, well, we're going to pay off our credit card someday. Right, right, right. We haven't paid it up, paid it, paid it off up until this point, mm-hmm. but we will someday. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, there's that missing behavior change, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that would be good to dig into. And, and maybe a lack of understanding of consequences right. of, of our actions. Well, uh, that, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, we've got time still. Um, I'm curious, and we could go a lot of different directions with sure. this, but um, what's something that you have taught children in the Junior Achievement Program that could be very well practiced by their parents? Uh, well, that certainly is is one of them. Um, but the other is how simple it is to, to get a business going. Uh, one of the programs that we do that's a lot of fun is called a business of our own, where the kids as a class decide to, to develop a product and have a one-day pop-up sale in, their, in the school hall. And we've had great products from... Uh, stress balls to planter uh, 
plant pots that were there for Mother's Day to Christmas ornaments, uh, depending on the season. And it doesn't take a lot for them to realize that that, that they can actually make something uh, for sale and sell it and make a product. So um, very often when in when working with uh, you know all couples again is the example uh, having uh, an income from a, a job job may not always satisfy whatever a family's needs are long term so rather than and a lot of a lot of the the uh, financial programs involve cutting back and going through your budget and finding expenses and you know cutting back on your lattes or kind of getting rid of your t- TV cable and um, and while maybe that's a that's a good thing because we probably do spend too much on those things anyway. It's not going to happen right now in football season though. Exactly, it's not going to happen, no, Angie. You... If you're listening, it's not happening. Yeah, you have to have priorities. Uh, but but that tent, that type of scarcity uh, mentality with budgeting is about as effective as dieting. People end mm. up resenting what they're doing. Yeah. They try and cheat it because yeah. you know well. Screw you! You can't tell me that I can't spend my ten dollars. And I I know a lot of times when people present with budgets, and I don't do budgets very often in my practice for this reason. But I know full well that they're lying because, (laughs) like, seriously, you you don't buy any gifts for anyone ever. (laughs) Right, right. I'm pretty sure that there's at least fifty bucks a month that goes to somebody's birthday somewhere. Yeah. So I know that people don't account for those things. So rather than focus on saying, well, you got to you got to cut $200 a month out of your spending in order to achieve your dreams. Why don't we just earn a little extra money? And what is it you're passionate about? You know, do you do you love making art cards? Do you like, uh, you know, novelty hats? What are the things that you really enjoy doing? And, you know, it's not that hard to, to make $100 on a weekend with some type of, a, of an activity that's maybe a public market or there's so many opportunities online now to to be a vendor and generate an income stream. The, well, the whole side gig business is really intriguing. Yeah, and let me t- tell you an adorable little story about a side gig that we did. So a number of years ago, we wanted to take our kids to Disney World or Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the one in California. And uh, I was working for a job at the time that paid me a paltry like 30 grand a year. We were living in Calgary. Yeah. So, I mean, do the math. Yeah. I had three kids. I mean, that's not enough to survive. But we wanted to go to Disneyland. Well, everybody around was like, no, that's a pipe dream. And I was like, it's the happiest place on earth. We want to go. And so we decided we're going to go. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to start delivering the Calgary Herald. So, you know, I'm, you know, in my early 30s. I have three young kids. And I was like, we're going to get up every morning for a year and deliver the Calgary Herald. And we figured out you get about $600 a month, which was huge for us. Mm -hmm. $600 a month, Mm -hmm. you know, And, and we made that commitment. And so we said to the kids, are you guys in on this? You're going to have to do it on the weekends. So they're like, Father, we go to school during the week. I'm like, okay, but on your, the weekends. Your children call you Father? No, no. no. <laughs> it just makes the story more adorable. Like, Come on. <laughs> do they have English accents too? <laughs> You, you need to come around more often so you can also hold John accountable for his, his storytelling. Yeah, if he was here for every intro, he would just be like, wait a second. <laughs> and so, yeah, so they, we're all in. And so we started and for a year. Every single day of the year, the, the only day we didn't have to deliver was Christmas, December 25th. I didn't have to get up that day. But every day of the year in Calgary in the cold, dark winters at four in the morning, mm-hmm. me and my wife would alternate. 
and then we take the kids on the weekends and we go and we we did it we saved up we went to Disneyland and let me tell you that was still one of the best trips we've ever done and looking back um, I think just the amount of work we put into it to save up it was so much more rewarding than just like going to the bank and getting like a six thousand yeah. dollar loan or something like they always offer you at Christmas time. Hey, mm-hmm. you qualify for five thousand? You know, hmm. yeah, it still would have been kind of fun, but it sort of wouldn't have been, you know, as happy and fulfilling had we not done that. So that sure. sort of fits with what you're saying. Sure. Like, if you really really want something, it's better to like find that extra money and work for it mm-hmm. than just like you know put your hand out and yeah. say. And, I yeah. can, can, can I dig in on, on that a little Please bit? Please do, yeah. So yeah. Uh, I imagine it was really exciting when you started because yeah. <laughs> it's new and, yeah. and you had you had the goal that you're working towards. What yeah. happened the first time that somebody didn't want to get up and do it? Oh, my gosh. You mean like week two? <laughs> <laughs> and that someone was me and it's getting cold? <laughs> it, you just had to keep reminding yourself of the vision. Okay. Right? That's how, to keep, that's how you keep going is you're just, the papers are coming every day. Right. Um, we're already into it. Let's go. We're not going to tell the kids we're not going anymore. There was no way we could do it. Sure. Like there's no plan B. Yeah. And uh, and the kids were into it. Yeah. And so I, I think just having that vision was key is reminding, hey kids, remember like when it's, you know, December and it's like minus 30 mm-hmm. and then, Father, I'm, <laughs> I'm cold. I'm ever so cold. <laughs> exactly. We're going to Disneyland in six months. Okay, just keep going. But the whole of you can't walk anymore. The warm up in California. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it but it, it taught me a valuable lesson of just of just remembering like the importance of saving. And so we've always done that with the kids. Yeah. We've, we've traveled. Uh, you know, years later, we would do a three month trip to Europe. Even though they're little, they say they help save up for it. Mm-hmm. They started a pooper scooper business in the neighborhood. Fun, and so it's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> dogs poop, and people hate cleaning it up, mm-hmm. and uh, the kids did. And so they, that, I think that's one one thing we did, you know, well as parents. And many things we didn't do well, but one thing we did well as parents is just teaching them that you have to work for everything. Sure, right? There's no, unfortunately, there is, but you know, life isn't lived well when people just hand you money, mm-hmm. and so. Yeah. yeah. So I'm taking over your podcast. Back no, to no, because it, because it, that's one of the things I think that's important for people to understand in it is that the whole idea towards achieving a goal, whether it's a financial goal or a health goal or, or something else, is that there has to be meaning attached to it. Yeah. And, and that yeah. meaning has to be more than just the thing. Hmm. Uh, if you said, well, I want to have $5,000 saved at the end of the year. Well, that's that's great. But for what purpose? Yeah. Because at some point. At whether you're earning more money or you're cutting back on something else, you're going to come up against a choice between saving for that for that goal or doing something else like going out for dinner or exactly. buying something that's on sale. Yeah. And unless that goal has meaning wrapped around it, like yours is perfect because you know, I'm sure the kids were talking about Disneyland oh, the whole sure. year. They knew what the first ride was they were going to yeah. go on. You probably had the brochures sitting oh, around. Yeah, they were yeah. always reminding themselves. Yeah. So you had you'd attached an emotion to that goal. We had a rip off calendar on the fridge. Okay. Hundred days, yeah. ninety nine days, ninety eight days. Yeah yeah. 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 So in helping young families talk about what it is that they're going to do when when they've achieved a particular goal, it's it's so critical to help them understand. What's it going to feel like at that moment when you were saving for our kids' education? Mm. Okay, well, how long is that? And what's it going to imagine what it's like to be at the graduation ceremony? What are you going to wear, mm-hmm. Sylvia? And none of my clients are named Sylvia, but 
<laughs> we, and 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 you know, the the sights, the sounds, the smells, the all those things that bind uh, a ghoul with with a level of emotion because it's it's going to be tough. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. people, you know, professionals that are in the the fitness industry have the same struggle when people say, "Well, I want to weigh, I'm going to lose fifty pounds by the end of the year." Yeah. Okay. Well, what's your life going to be like when you're fifty pounds less? Oh, well, I, you know, I can. I, I won't hurt when I get up off the couch, or I can play with my kids, or I can. You know, I, when I come across the line at the end of the TC 10K, you know, okay, is it a rainy day? Is it a sunny day? You know, how are you? How sweaty are you? What's mm-hmm. it going to feel like when the ribbon goes around your neck? Just so that people, when they come up to that point where, well, I don't want to go for a run tonight because I'm going to watch the finale of the of Bachelor in Paradise and right. eat chips. Yeah, for sure. Um, how was that, by the way? Well. <laughs> We we had to wait. We we haven't made it to the uh, bachelor's tell all yet. Okay. <laughs> so don't spoil it for me. Uh, too, too much inside information. <laughs> no, <laughs> just enough. We'll yeah. link that in the show notes. Injecting yeah. realism. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's my guilty pleasure. <laughs> That's great. Uh, but it, it's so much easier to to have the pleasure today or the pleasure of not doing something today oh, sure. than to think, oh well, I'll I'll do I'll work harder tomorrow. I'll save more money tomorrow. It's every day, every moment is a choice between the goal that that is important to you or having that immediate reward. And your brain constantly tries to make you do the now thing. And I wonder if that mindset and and that practice and habit is part of the reason you're able to volunteer and have so many different commitments. Um, Because that idea of, oh, I can just do that tomorrow and procrastination. How I don't think you'd be able to give as much and contribute as much if you hadn't trained that habit of I need to take care of this now. Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't know that the two are linked because I still struggle with the I have to do the now thing. Um, you know, I, I know my practice is a lot better when I when I finish a meeting that I immediately write my notes for the meeting and I immediately put it in an email and I send it to the client and I make sure that all the things are in the file and that all my electronic records and then it goes in the filing cabinet and I'm done with it. But it's so much easier to pick up the phone and make a couple more phone calls or, or, you know, focus on a a volunteer activity and leave it till the, till later that night or the next day so that I have my own struggles with that all the time. And, and for, for me, what what I love what you said is is like it's not inspiring to be like I should put away two hundred dollars a month, no, just period. Yeah, you know I should. Why? Well, that's what the books say. That's what Mike told me to do. That's <laughs> my, what my budget. Yeah, that's my budget. Just put it away. It's it's you know it, it's not enough. That visualization that you talked about. That boy, you know, or, or five hundred dollars a month. Man, I could save you know um, was it six thousand dollars in a year, but just five five hundred dollars a month. Wow. What could we do with six hundred thousand dollars? Well, that'd be enough to go wherever, Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. What would that look like when we get off the plane? What would the air smell like? Like mm-hmm. that—that's so much more exhilarating than just oh. like, well, there's just I'm generally putting five hundred dollars away a month, and now I can't go out for dinner, and now I can't do this, sure. and now I can't buy those shoes I want because I can't afford. You know, it's such a different mindset, but it's mm-hmm. the same thing. Mm-hmm. But you've just changed your mindset. Mm-hmm. And and also, what's the cost of not doing it? So yeah. if, if I'm unable to put make this choice if i am lured by the temptation of new shoes and we can't go to disneyland like 
what impact will that have? Yeah, and, and, sure. and that's when we were talking a little bit about consequences and the power of uh, being aware of consequences that that can be equally motivating and not in a guilt way, but in a strengthening your resolve mm-hmm. and, and building that um, awareness in. Yeah. Well, savings never has buyer's remorse. Right. Yeah. Like I'll tell pe- people, you right. will not regret at the end of the year that you put a hundred dollars aside. Oh, look mm-hmm. at all this money we have. Yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, for sure. But as well, I think the, in terms of the idea of saving money, it, it's such a, it's a narrative that's in our culture and, you know, your parents told you to, you know, make sure you put money away. Mm-hmm. But being aware of what am I actually saving it for? Because mm-hmm. I've been in a place where I'm just like, oh, you know, I'm I'm saving money. This is great. Like, my bank account's feeling better. And, and then it's like a fear of spending the money. Right. It's, <laughs> and and yeah. Sarah's been great for this. And I'm like, well, do we have enough money to go to Chile in January? And, you know, I, I, I like where the bank account's yeah. at. But mm-hmm. no, this is the reason you save yeah. money. This is why you do it so yeah. that you can re- reward yourself with things that are aligned with your values. It's not just about having X amount of dollars in the bank. Who cares? Yeah. When you're dead, it doesn't matter how much money right. you saved. Yeah. Um, and, and that'll all happen to us. It's yeah. a, the experiences that and and whether it's gifts or or travel or, or whatever is important, being able to buy the, the book that you you really want to read or, or mm-hmm. do whatever. Um, it, that's what money's for. Money isn't just something that you get a reward for by having an, an amount of it in the bank. It's it's a tool that you can use. Yeah. But oh. you've attached a personal value to it when you've saved it. You, you've A piece of your identity and pride is pointing to that account. So if you then spend it on something else, even if it's something you wanted, you have to sacrifice that little bit of your identity and value that you've attached to it. Hmm. Do you think that's useful or not useful? Um, it's neither, depending on what you want to do. Uh, so what, what I'll, I'll talk to people about is, again, like you said, it's the tool. The first tool is having three to six months set aside for emergencies or opportunities. Like the biggest difference between people that are wealthy and people that are struggling is the first group has access to cash when things go sideways, whereas the other people either don't have access because they're paycheck to paycheck or a line of credit is their, is their safety net, both of which are, are very poor tools for that. So if you're saving, and we're, we're getting into sort of the nuts and bolts of planning here, but if you, if you, if you identify, okay, $3,000 is what we need to be able to make it for, for three months. Whether it is or not, I don't know, but uh, that that's unique for everybody. But that three thousand dollars, once that's done, that's done. We set that aside, and we do not we don't touch that unless there's an emergency or an opportunity. Then we start to save for the next things, uh, which could be the trip to to Disneyland, the trip to Chile, you know, the purchase of, of a new vehicle, etc. And maybe we save into all the pots at the same time. But we don't we don't the saving isn't just for the purpose of saving because somebody told you it was a good idea to, to do the emergency savings is done the trip savings is done the education savings is done you have all these little goals that you're working towards so that you can track against those and then that value is attributed to that to that pot of money for the right purposes 
not just because it intrinsically has its own value. You know, I, I have a small fear building here, Mike, that, that some, of, some of the listeners might be thinking like, well, boy, oh boy, there's just a bunch of rich people sitting around talking about how easy it is to save money. Good luck. I can't even pay my bills. Like, I'm just thinking Vancouver Island, as we know, is one of the most expensive places in Canada to live, as we well know. Uh, the living w- wage is, you know, 20 plus an hour um you know a lot of it's hard to find a job for that unless you have special training what do you say to the people who are sort of leaning in like yeah i love man i would love to do that i'd love to be able to put money away i can't even pay my bills like how how can how can they begin to what counsel would you give them if they came to you and just said like three to six months i mean i mean i can't even i can't even get through like the first week Mm -hmm. um and then maybe we can, you know, talk about the sort of the next group of people that that perhaps can do that, but but just you know don't have the don't have the discipline. So, but let's first deal with the first group. Sure. So, and you know, I, I hear that all the time. Um, and well, it's true in some cases. In many cases, that's just a story that people have told themselves to make themselves feel better about the bad position that they're in. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I don't want to sound like a jerk when I say that. No. Yeah. Um, but you know, we, we hear it in the news all the time and they want the news loves this story that you know, Vancouver Island is so expensive and affordable housing and you know, people can't, can't get by. And while it's absolutely true, there is a, there is a percentage that, that really do have those issues in, in many cases, it's about, it's about choices. Um, you know, I'll, I'll tell people, so you know, some, well, I, I can't possibly save anything. It's the same thing as somebody says, well, I'm just too busy to do anything. Mm. Right. And, yeah. and I'll ask, okay, well, when you, when you met your partner, were you busy then? <laughs> well, yeah. Did, were you too busy to, to spend any time with them? Right. No, you, you obviously made choices. Something else was no longer a priority and, mm. and, and seeing this new person became a priority. Hmm. So we, we we do make choices with the money that we spend, and if if something becomes more important in terms of your financial planning, then something else has to drop off. And you know, well, we talked earlier about you don't go to Starbucks as often, or you don't yeah. buy this or that. Where there's always a certain percentage of of expenses that are going out that people, if if they had a different choice, probably wouldn't make. And just helping people get through that, I really don't like to come from. Well, you have to do this and wave my finger around. But you know, what's important to you is is doing what you're doing now, getting the results that you want. And if not, what are you willing to change for something that you do want? And how important is that thing? Yeah, for That's, sure. And, and if and if I could just finish that thought, the, Please do, the yeah. biggest barrier is, and it's not it's not that people don't have money, it's that they think that the money that they do have won't make any difference. You wouldn't believe the number yeah. of conversations that well we've only got twenty five dollars extra. What's, what's, the, what's point? the point? Yeah, it's amazing yeah. what twenty five dollars does. Mm. Not only does twenty five dollars over time make an enormous difference, but mm. it's the habit that starts. And that twenty five dollars today becomes forty dollars a month next year, which becomes a hundred dollars a month mm. next year because. Well, yeah, we were able to do that. We can throw a little bit more. We can throw a little bit more. And the shift that happens in people's attitudes towards it without them even being aware of it with money that they, they, they don't miss once they've done it anyway um, makes, makes all the difference. And that's really where the value in a, in a financial advisor, whether it's me or one of the other terrific uh, advisors around, makes, makes all the difference. There's no way 
that the online tools, which are excellent, yeah, but there's no way that they have that that courageous conversation with people about you know choosing to just get started right today. Yeah, I mean it's coaching, really. Yeah, um, it's it, even the, some of the questions you were asking and, and putting value on what's most important. That's that's yeah, it's, it's a financial coach. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so, all it is. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what the stock market's going to do, mm-hmm. and and that's I got I got a question about that. <laughs> all right, um, but first, just before we kind of leave that topic, um, recent polls suggested that forty seven percent of Canadians are basically living paycheck to paycheck. If they weren't to get one week's worth of pay, they would be in a dire financial situation. And you mentioned choices and consumerism as part of that mm-hmm. um what would you say is is the main factor and what um at the risk of repeating yourself but what what might the remedy be of that i i think so some of it is that sense of optimism that that people tend to have that well it's like this today but next week it's going to be different because this great thing is going to happen um, and whether the great thing happens or not still doesn't make any difference because it's it's really more about the basics of what you're doing. Um, some of it is a little bit of ignorance that people just don't know what they can do. Um, they they've either had an ex- <clears throat> excuse me an experience where well, their brother-in-law has told them this great stock tip and that hasn't panned out because get-rich-quick schemes rarely do. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, people that tend to invest that same way have the same level of uh, overemphasis on the successes and de-emphasis on the losses, the way the gamblers do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Know, they remember yeah. the time that the that the, the their blackjack hand came up big, but they forget all the times yeah, that absolutely. the dealer won. Yeah. Um, and then, and some of it, sadly to say, is a combination of of apathy or or um, or they've given up. That well, it's it's too late, you know. We're already so far behind. We'll never catch up. Uh, what, what's the point in even in even trying? Um, or or being wealthy is just not for me. You know, we're always going to be the people that struggle. And again, there's some identity tied into who somebody is. If your if your identity is we're the we're the family with financial issues, then people will often risk. Uh, change because if they're not the family with financial issues, who are they going to be? Right. Same reason why people don't quit smoking or or drinking or gambling. We hang on to even dysfunctional behaviors rather than risk change to become a positive person for fear of losing that that identity. Yeah, we perpetuate our own stories that sure. we tell ourselves. Yeah. I just keep hearing habits, 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 mm-hmm. just poor spending habits. Mm-hmm. You know, well, we always, you know, get a bottle of wine when we go for dinner. Mm-hmm. Well, we always, you know, get lunch on the way home from work. Well, we always, you know, it's almost like these comforting traditions yeah. that, that we don't want to give up because yeah. we like habit. We're creatures of habit. Yeah. And it's like, well, I, I like, you know, I like getting the Starbucks on the way home. You know, it's it's nice. Sure. But it, you know, oh, it's only five bucks, five bucks, five bucks. Yeah. Five, but I mean, as we know, that's 150 bucks a sure. month. I mean, it's huge. Yeah. But let, let me turn that on, on yeah, the head too. Because do. that gets to that, that same scarcity 
you know, and even the word to use is poor habits, which is, is laced with judgment. Yeah, that's true. Um, Sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, because I got two coaches in here this time. <laughs> Damn it! Well, because I, I think this is this is where people really could benefit from working with yeah. uh, you know today's financial advisors who understand the behaviors around For around sure. finances. Is I'm not telling you to to not have that bottle of wine when you go out for dinner, and I'm not telling you not to have that. You know, to go out for lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's probably not a great d- thing to do every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you added up the money. If you say at the beginning of the month, I'm going to take a hundred dollars off of off of my paycheck, and remind me, we'll talk about the pay yourself first concept. But if I'm going to take a hundred bucks and I'm just going to set it aside, you you can still and people will still end up getting a bottle of wine when they go out for dinner, and they'll mm-hmm. still end up going out for lunch. They've just they've got a hundred bucks less to play with in in their budget, but it doesn't seem to be as restrictive mm-hmm. because they've already made that commitment. It's amazing what people can adjust. Right. There's a flexibility in the remaining income for that month that doesn't seem like they had to do without. Mm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's just switch. It's mindset switch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the pay yourself first idea. Yeah. yeah. What what is that? So um, if you read any financial uh, book, whether it's uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, The Wealthy Barber, or Finish mm-hmm. Rich, uh, they're all you know they're great books. Um, but if you if you boil them down into into the basic three principles, they're they're all the same. It's um, have three to six months of emergency savings set aside for emergencies or opportunities. Uh, work with someone that you trust to make it automatic and pay yourself first. Mm-hmm. And it's the pay yourself first one that I think often gets a lot of lip service because it's the, well, yeah, I, I should take a certain percentage of, of my earnings and, and put that aside for whether it's my short-term savings, my long-term savings, retirement, etc. And it's, it's kind of like the, th- I'm going to get off on a tangent here. Oh, you're in the right place. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the, the three R's of, of re- uh, recycle, reuse, and reduce. And yeah. the one we always focus on is the recycle, which yeah. is the least effective of the R's. Right. You know, the reduce and the reuse actually makes the biggest difference. But right. the recycle is easy because all you have to do is take the same crap that you were used to be garbage exactly. and you now put it into the blue box that so somebody else takes away sure. and they expend energy trying to do something with it. Yeah. And For the sure. the pay yourself first one has such a big difference. So here's here's one of the conversations that, that I'll have is uh, well let's use Sylvia again because she's been so cooperative. Yeah, she's wonderful. Uh, so you know Sylvia, it, she makes fifteen dollars an hour and she works for eight hours. And so we'll talk about the pay yourself first. And she's yeah yeah I get that I should probably do that. Okay, well let's let's understand what that means when you're at your at your job. You, you arrive at, at 8.30, the first three hours, that's the government's money. So what do you mean? Well, you have to pay tax. So mm-hmm. for those first three hours, you're working for a combination of, of government levels to pay that off. The next hour and a half to two hours, depending on where you live, that's paying for your, that's your landlord or you're paying the mortgage at the bank. Okay. And then, well, the next hour to an hour and a half, that's your food. And then the next hour, there's your budget. And I'm, at the end of, of the time, we found eight hours of Sylvia's day, all of which went to somebody other than Sylvia, which can really be eye-opening because people think that the, all the money that comes into their house is theirs. When de- 
in, in most cases because of spending and commitments, it isn't because they have so many things that they've got to pay for. So I said, what if the first hour of every day was Sylvia's from 8.30 to 9.30, mm. that $15 is Sylvia's. Mm. So that's $15 that you should be setting aside uh, for your future use at the end of the week. So that's five days times 50 that's $75 that should go to Sylvia's. So that's $150 every two weeks. Can you set $150 aside every two weeks? Yes or no. And hopefully it's yes. And if it's no, then we'll try and figure out how. But she's she, she now has that pride of that very first hour. Mm. That's She's working for, for her own future. I love and, that. Yeah. And, it just, and then we make it automatic by having it come off of... of of a bank through an automatic deposit into some account. I was going to mention that uh, we we just started the automatic thing a number of years ago, and I mean, oh my gosh, that changed everything. I most of the time I don't even notice. Yeah, right. It just you comes, don't. It comes out, and yeah. then you get your statement. And you're like, wow. Yeah. So I would encourage yeah. listeners. Uh, I would encourage them to go into whatever financial institution they're at and see what sort of automatic programs yeah. they have. Because some of them, like, I think it's Scotia Bank has a really cool thing where if you're using your debit. They round up whatever your purchase is I've to the next dollar, that, yeah. and they set that aside. So again, it's it's automatic. You don't notice it happening. Um, but that that pay yourself first. If you really put a number to it, and I, I keep coming back to quantifying what you're doing, you know that fifteen dollars, if that's what you're earning, that first fifteen dollars the day is yours, and not somebody else's. And that's so rich with meaning, like mm-hmm. like, like you said earlier. Yeah, wouldn't you rather get up and go to work to work for you? Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> earlier when you said you're working all morning for the government, I'm like, start at noon. <laughs> <laughs> Problem I, I think I understood that metaphor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, this yeah. is great stuff. And, and uh, a unique conversation, one that we haven't had before on the podcast. And it, it comes back to that whole idea of habit systems and, and changing the mindset. And like, start, start now in putting that money in a certain place in, mm-hmm. in the auto mm-hmm. um, transfer. Um, it, it builds those habit systems. It, it retrains your brain. It yeah. builds neural pathways. And, and that's how we start changing that narrative of, you know, I am someone who is not wealthy mm-hmm. and, and turning it into, uh, you know, a, a more productive mindset. Yeah. And, and any financial advisor uh, like myself who if your listeners are saying I'd really love to get going on something like that but I don't know where to start or I, I don't I can't afford to to do that uh, all the advice that I have given to this point I give to my clients without any charge anyway and all of the 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 patterns and behaviors that I've recommended are something that people just do on their own that I don't even make any money from either there's like there's no compensation for that but unless we get people to get going on something like this, there's no opportunity for them or or for me to, to, to earn an income from the advice that I would give down the road. So if, if people are thinking, well, it's great, but we, you know, we can't afford that, don't let that be your barrier. Mm-hmm. It will not cost you anything to sit down with mm-hmm. a, a financial advisor. Um, and we'll put a link to advocates so that people can see you know, who in their area are, are, uh, are f- professional advisors that give advice in the same manner that I do. Hmm. So in my experience, Mike, the, the wisest people in the world are people who have learned from their life experience, not just read the most books. So you're a wealth of information. 
pun intended. And, <laughs> and, um, it's not going to be the episode title, John. I, yeah, I was just thinking. Well, that's, why what, that's why I paused. I was like, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. If you only knew how many great episode titles I've come up with, uh, Andrew's next. It's like, it rhymes. It's dumb. It's not going to happen. But anyway, wealthy information. Love it. Um, we'll, we'll negotiate. <laughs> but uh, wealthy information comes not just from reading books, but through experiences. So what I'm curious is... Um, some of the, some of this information you've pushed today, um, perhaps you've learned through maybe even bad experiences you've had personally with, sure. with your money. Do you do you mind sharing one or two of those just to the listeners know that you're human? Oh, absolutely. Um, and and those uh, those people who have been part of my life uh, <laughs> to, to date know you know what goes on behind the curtain. Yeah, <laughs> probably have their own opinions as do all our families yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh so growing up um my experience with money had been uh, listening to my parents talk about it and for them money was generally a source of of conflict um they both had different attitudes towards it my dad thought there was always more than enough money my mom thought there was never enough money and you know, both of them are wrong. It's it's usually somewhere in the middle, and mm-hmm. and those are just uh, stories that they've they've told themselves. But my experience was that when they talked about money, it was to fight. You know, because they, this bill had to be paid, and that bill had to be paid, or you spent too much on this, or you know, we can't do that. So I internalized those conversations, and and money was a source of conflict. So it was something I never really wanted to to, to deal with. I eschewed opportunities to earn money. And maybe one of the reasons why I didn't go into some of those other you know, more lucrative professions earlier was because I didn't want to be a wealthy person because money was seen as a as a negative. Hmm. You know, young people tend to be altruistic. And, yeah. hmm. um, and so then in, in my first marriage, uh, you know, we had different attitudes about money like most people did. And but we didn't have a healthy conversation around it because I was unwilling to, to bring things up because either I was afraid that it would be a conflict or if it was a conflict, I didn't want to have to deal with it. And you know, the, the problems that, that occurred in our marriage because of that would have been you know, fairly minor if we just dealt with it and said, okay, well, we can't afford to do this or you know, we need to you know, spend on that or you need to make a little extra money here or there. You know, all those things that I help clients with now, uh, if I had had that same level of awareness, then we probably would not have ended up with some of the financial situations that, that were disastrous mm. um, and probably were the accelerant to to the end of the marriage. Mm. Not to say that it was the only problem, but it was uh, certainly a major one. And, and I think your listeners will have have seen a lot of the same sorts of reports that you know money is the ninety five percent of the reasons why couples yeah why marriages don't last because mm-hmm. everything else that cascades from it like um, infidelity and alcoholism or other things often come from attitudes and conflicts around money. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in my own experience in working with a financial advisor, I learned some of the, the same things that I'm talking about now that helped me shift my attitudes towards money, had to accept my own weaknesses with it. Uh, my own, you know, I, I tend to have an abundance mentality. Uh, I tended to use money as a tool to show my love or affection. Um, 
and my thought, well, we can buy this now because there's going to be more money, you know, next month or, you know, I'm going to get that raise or all those other stories that we tell each other. Mm -hmm. And so learning those own things in myself and it's, I have to, to face it all the time. Like, well, you know, maybe going out for dinner isn't the best choice this week because we've already gone out twice. So Mm -hmm. let's stay home, but it's so fun to go out. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Um, so then in, but then in, in my, my second marriage, you know, understanding that, that Karen has a different attitude towards money than I do, but we can talk about it, recognizing that she feels one way and I feel another, and that you know, we, we can talk about where we're going to put it and where we're, what, what, what's important about it uh, without it being a source of conflict. Well, we won't agree all the time, and in fact, don't. Um, but I'll see her point and she'll see my point, and sometimes we do her thing and sometimes we do my thing, but we're all working towards a common goal. That's like how John and I come up with episode titles. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly the same. So who is the wife in this situation? (laughs) We'll let the listeners decide. For sure. Or not just be lower voice. (laughs) Um, And and I I think we're most financial advisors that people have worked with will have had the same thing because we're all people at the end of the day. Mm Yeah, for sure. Th- thanks for sharing that. Hey, you're welcome. Yeah. So it's we're getting to the time to be wrapping up, but there was one question that I I uh, that piqued my interest earlier, and I wanted to ask about the stock market. Yeah. Um, and how is it that there's something that we created? It is so incredibly volatile and unpredictable, and no one knows the future, and it can ruin people and entire institutions why is this animal so unpredictable when it's something that is our of our own creation well it's not that it's unpredictable in fact it's very predictable um you can't put dates and numbers to when things are going to happen but we know that it corrects over a period of time every seven to ten years is going to be some type of a correction the fact that we've been in in such a long bull market which is a market that that is continuing to grow uh is unusual but it's still going to have decreases at at some point um but and but i'm going to focus on on your language there too so you know unpredictable it's not really that unpredictable and if you look at the markets from 1950 until now they've gone up over that whole time there have been periodic decreases but over any long period of time it it goes up and and it's not so volatile so when we see these reports that oh the stock market uh, dropped 300 basis points today well that's maybe 0.8 percent or one percent or even two percent so on on the daily or weekly downturns it it does go down but as long as you're not taking income from your your investments it doesn't matter um the the crash in 2008 uh was significant only for those people who were actually pulling their money out during that period of time so we're talking about people who are you know needing their money for retirement and if they if they actually had been in you know coming up to retirement if they had been in funds that were not as subject to those losses it wouldn't have been such a big issue but that that drop in 2008 uh, was followed by one of the greatest gains only a few short months later. So people that got scared, 
uh, saw that their money had gone down, realized the loss by getting out of the market and sat in cash on the sidelines, missed the opportunity to make even more money when it came back again, because when they finally got off the pot and decided, okay, I guess it's okay to put my money back in now, that that opportunity had evaporated. Right. So, yeah. um, and, and as a Canadian investor, um, we're we're even more protected because a lot of the things that in in if you're and I'm not talking about stocks, individual stocks. I'm not licensed for that, and I and I don't recommend particular stocks. But the mutual fund and segregated fund industry where you're investing in and then your money is diversified across a broad spectrum of different asset classes and almost all Canadian mutual funds the majority anywhere from 17 to 22 percent is made up of financial institutions so you've got almost a quarter of your investment in Bank of Montreal, Bank of Nova Scotia, TD, uh, Canada Life, Sun Life you know these are companies that make money they're, they're, they have a hard time failing. Um, the Canadian banking industry does not have that experience that the American one does. So even even if you're investing in Canadian uh, broad-based investments, they don't have that same level of, of catastrophic loss. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you saying is that it's so much about mindset and, I mean, coming back to discipline and, and choices... Um, about how we and how we look at things like the stock market and and our own investments and mm-hmm. um, comes to mind Warren Buffett said um, when the tide goes out you find out who's been swimming naked because <laughs> right. um, it, it's the the people who suffered the most from the from crashes it's it's very likely that there there was some sense of lack of responsibility within those whether they were institutions or uh, personal spending habits or investment mm-hmm. habits um and yeah if, if we look at the long term as it's not volatile it's actually safe and as long as you're not looking to get a short-term game you're thinking about what's really important down the road um it's a it's a smart place to put your money as long as it's part of of a plan that's diversified across not just investments but but other other tools and and risk management tools like like insurance but i remember having a conversation with a with a young person who'd said to me well i only want to invest in something safe and i said well tell me what that is well so i don't know like my you know my cash in the bank is safe i said well let's look at the risks that it's that it's subject to um and the biggest one is is inflation risk so if you have a hundred dollars today uh, it's in five years. It's not going to buy a hundred dollars worth of stuff that that it is today. So even if you say I'm, I don't trust the markets. I'm going to keep everything in in my mattress. Uh, you you're going to lose money because that the value is eroded over time because everything becomes more expensive. So you have to at least participate in some type of a vehicle that keeps pace with inflation. Right. Hmm. So uh, just let me tell you about the the. Uh, couple that I was mentioning yeah. before we started and yeah. here's if, if there's one takeaway uh, and this gets back to the taking action uh, I have a, a family that I've been working with for five or six years and they're just like everybody else they it's a one income they're both under 30 
uh, he works as a, uh, he, over the, the past number of years, he's got his, his ticket as a, as a Red Seal carpenter, which has required going to Vancouver for periods of time for training. She's been a stay-at-home mom who's worked part-time here and there. And they have now three children, five, three, and six months. So I, I'm sure that that's almost like everybody else walking around uh, here in Victoria. Um, in that time, they have been able to save and put a down payment on a condo. They've saved, uh, they, they're, they're fully taken care of with insurance. If any one of them die or get cancer, if the children get cancer, we've made sure that their wow. their savings plans are going to continue. So that's something we didn't even touch on is risk management. Mm-hmm. But what was really cool was this. We sat down last night because they wanted to open an education saving plan for the baby because they had one for, for their two other children. And we'd opened the RESP, so that's a Registered Education Savings Plan, which is a government, federal government offering where you put money in and you can invest and it grows without paying any tax on it. But the government also matches uh, what you put in up to 20%, but they also have a number of lower income bonds and grants that, that they put in. So in this particular case, uh, between the two plans that they have, the family has put in just over $1,200 of money that they've received from family or gifts or birthdays, and they don't even make regular contributions. They've just put that money in. But because of their tax bracket, the government's continued to throw money in every couple of months so that the, the education plans are worth over $2,400, wow. and they've only put 1200 bucks in yeah. mm-hmm. and when the the girl who's five now when she turns six will make an application to the bc government for a 1200 dollar uh, one-time education grant that they're eligible for whether they put any money in or not so here's one of the, the resistances that people have as well again i can't afford it we there's no point in saving for our kids because we can't put any money in open the account will your financial advisor will make the grant submissions on your behalf to the government and they'll just start putting money in if you qualify. There is no downside for this. So yeah. would you rather have no money for your children's education or take 15 minutes and sign the paperwork to open a plan and have two to $3,000 at least to, to help out? And then when things get better, you can start contributing to it. Yeah, and we've mentioned so many different like things like fears and, and uh, all these kind of things, but, but sometimes it, it just comes down to laziness. Yeah. Right. Like that's we just it's easy just to be like, oh, I don't want to kind of do the research and figure it out or oh, I don't want to make the call. Mm-hmm. Oh. I mean, we do stuff like that all the time. Yeah. Just that subtle laziness that that becomes a habit. Sure. And then we miss out. Yeah. And so it's just finding a way to sort of push through that sort of fog of laziness and just get her done, as we say. Mm-hmm. And then you can benefit for a long time. Yeah. It's yeah. not it's not that difficult. And you spe- get to spend time with fun people like me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. And, and we don't even we're not even aware of, of the opportunities that are out there. Like it. We don't. Um, most of us don't try to repair our cars and like, no. keep our cars on the road just on our own. We we go to a professional and we if something's not right or even just for regular maintenance and they take care of it um but the vast majority of the population doesn't do the same with their money Mm -hmm. so i really appreciated the the time and and unfortunately we didn't get time to ask about um your idea of 
Canada annexing the country of Haiti, which um, we'll we'll have to get back to on another uh, another episode because uh, there's some some interesting insights there. I know it's a better, better looking idea every time there's a natural disaster. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's been such a pleasure. I, I learned something uh, and get more inspired every time we have the opportunity to sit down. So thank, thanks so much for doing this today, um, Mike. Well, and speaking of numbers, this is going to be episode 32, which is my favorite number. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping it's going to be 32 or that's what I just said is shit. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just pretend it's going to be 32, but no. And, and what's your affinity with the number 32? I've, it's always been my favorite number. Huh. Yeah. Everyone just guessed all my bank pass codes, but, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's always, uh, I think it goes back to, um, magic Johnson, the, basket, okay, the basketball player. Maybe there was a, an athlete. Yeah. Related, it was but magic could, Johnson back was, in the day. Yeah, I was and going then, through the terrible Oilers that yeah. might've been associated. <laughs> You're like some goalie. Any. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Ranford? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and it took us that long to talk about to talk about money, and I'm glad we did, because as we talked about, it's, it's a huge obstacle for a lot of people, but it doesn't need to be. No. Nope. It can just, it can change right now. Even if your money doesn't change right now, you can change with your mindset. So let's, let's start with that. Great. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, and thanks for listening, too. We know you listen yeah, to the episodes as well, and that means a lot. So. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Till next time. Well, that's the episode. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you liked what you heard here, check out the website. ObstacleCoursePodcast.com. That's where you can subscribe, check out the show notes. If we have one request, we'd ask you to leave us a kind review and perhaps share this episode. It's not because we have fragile egos. Well. But because we want other great people like you to benefit. Speaking of great people, we have a list of people we want to thank. We've got our senior technical advisor, Andy Robertson our media partner and web designer, Sticky Media, and of course, our host and snack coordinator, Judy Langford. Oh, peanut butter cookies. You can continue the conversation on Instagram and Facebook at Obstacle Course Podcast and on Twitter at Obstacle Pod. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Keep pushing through those obstacles.